be quite focused on where the dollars go. I think um, when people raise capital and they raise three million or five million dollars, and I've seen it hundreds of hundreds of times, like have a really focused view on where that money's going to go. Don't don't think it's just going to go on a billboard and away you go. You probably had the push from a number of people to accept cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Uh, I think that was a trend that, that came and, and, and potentially could come in the future. There's going to be a wave of entrepreneurialism and a wave of fintechs coming through, devising different ways of doing things and making things easier for people over time. And the winner may not already be in front of us. Welcome to Add to Cart, the podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of e-commerce. Every month, Nathan Bush from 12 High and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and e-commerce strategist at 12 High. I've got a bit of a change of pace for you today and it's not slowing down. It's probably speeding up if anything. We're going to speak with Chris Titley, who is a stockbroker at Morgan's Financial. So, what's interesting about Chris is that he's got a special interest in fintechs, digital banks, and payment methods. He even hosts his own podcast on the matter, which is his podcast called Bank to the Future. Get it? Bank to the Future. And he interviews founders and leaders from fintech businesses who are doing things a little differently. I wanted to speak with Chris around what he sees in the future of payment and banking, especially where the worlds collide with e-commerce. So, no doubt 2020 has seen an explosion for e-commerce, but there's also been huge growth and disruption in the alternative payment methods. I mean, does anyone else worry about whether they can fit another logo on their checkout? In our chat, we cover everything from the buy now, pay later emergence, how open banking has actually opened up disruption opportunities, and which metrics investors are looking for for emerging business investment. And sorry, no, I was not able to get the future afterpay share prediction out of him. All advice is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Just before we get into this one, I had a few questions around whether the episode with Dom Holland from Fast was a paid episode, and the answer is definitely not. I just thought it was a fascinating story, and it was a great one to capture while they're still relatively young. All our paid sponsors from our amazing partners are clearly called out. I promise we don't sneak any in there. But if you think you have a great story to be told, whether this be as an e-commerce business, a service provider, or a subject matter expert, just get in touch. We're currently putting together our 2021 guest schedule. So, let's get into it. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, here's our episode with Chris Titley from Morgan's Financial on everything fintech and payments. Chris Titley, welcome to Add to Cart. Thank you, Nathan. Pleasure to be on here. Mate, thank you for coming on. It's a bit of a different one for our audience this week um, and some of our listeners may be wondering why well, we've got a stockbroker on. But um, Chris, we've known each other for a while and you've got a very uh, certain interest in especially fintech and I'd love to uh, pick your brains today on what you're seeing in fintech because I think 2020 has been the year. Yeah, it sure has. I, I think probably it's the... Uh, the uh, combination of a few different things. I, I've been doing uh, emerging tech or startup podcasts now for coming up to five years, and I'm a very agnostic on on size and agnostic on sector. And meeting some some fantastic entrepreneurs along the way, and and certainly uh, investors as well uh, in the space along the way, and it's thrown me in different directions. But uh, really, during the COVID period, when when everyone was locked down, 
uh, yeah, sort of sat down and thought about where I could focus my time and effort on on what I thought was something which which has got a long story to tell, a very uh, big opportunity over the next five to ten years in terms of the way people are paying, the way people are are being created with their with their financial goals and 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 the, the tools and payments which people are using. So uh, the idea to document that was was probably the culmination of why I started this you know small podcast called Bank to the Future. Which is a bit of a play on the um, on Back to the Future. I'll give my wife the, the credit, my <laughs> wife the credit for that name. So um, I don't think she even watched the movie, but I was a big fan of, of Michael J. Fox and, and Back to the Back to the Future. So it, it, it sort of plays. It's it's quite a nice name for where I'm I'm documenting, and and and, and I suppose the, the three or four things which took my interest is one is the rise of the digital banks here in Australia. Yep. Uh, secondly, the, the sort of the adoption of, of, of payment methods like Buy Now Pay Later uh, during during COVID. Uh, the, the sort of the, the the absent, uh, the move away from cash, I suppose, um, particularly from a health point of view, as well as also people not wanting to carry around um, germs and, and, and whatnot uh, in terms of cleanliness uh, and, and the sort of the, the slow decline, which is debatable, of, of credit card usage and the way that credit cards are issued. So lots of different things, plus also um, yeah, bank shares haven't performed the best over the last couple of years, or the big four bank shares, and, and we've seen some, some euphoric rises in other uh, fintech. So it's an interesting sector to document. Absolutely. And we're going to dive into all of those today. But before we do, can we give everyone a little bit of an idea on what you do day to day? Because your official title, according to LinkedIn, is stockbroker. What does <laughs> yeah, a stockbroker so, do? What does a stockbroker do? I mean, it's, it's changing over time and certainly will change again over time. But um, my predominant role is to advise retail clients on Australian equities, really Australian shares. So could be could be you, it could be uh, another individual, could be uh, uh, someone self managed super fund, etc. And and they come to us to ask us for advice on how to um, enter and also you know, manage a portfolio of Australian shares, really predominantly in, in a real uh, a nutshell. That is, um, so yeah, I, I, obviously everyone's got different circumstances and, and everyone's got different objectives. But along the way, um, we're there to, to help people and assist people with their their, their uh, asset class, particularly in in, the, in shares. So um, that's kind of what I do from a day to day role, and that involves meeting meeting companies, uh, predominantly listed companies, to get in, you know to get insights and information around what they're doing and and, and try and predict their future future growth path. So um, and, and then relay that back to our particular clients to hopefully um, inevitably, you know, make, make money for them over the long term. Now that doesn't always happen and that things go pear shaped and, and, and things, you know, go to zero and, and whatnot. But uh, in the end of the day, hopefully over the, over the course of uh, the history that our firm's been around and, and for our industry that, that we actually add value, um, or potentially hopefully add value to, to one's portfolio. Gotcha. And you're advising over all sectors, not just digital or technology or payments? Yeah, generally, um, most stockbrokers are generalists, so we do follow the market. There's um, there's 200 stocks in the main index in Australia, the ASX 200, and there's also, I, I actually don't know the number of stocks that are listed. Um, I, I'd assume it's north of 1,500, so we, we can't cover everything, but um, predominantly we try and keep abreast of, of the main issues with the, the large cap. And then most most brokers have their own little individual interests, whether it be junior resource shares or, or, or a sector that they used to work in. And, and mine just so happens to be um, emerging tech, which I've done for you know, roughly five years in terms of a focus, but, um, but now more predominantly on the fintech and payment side. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive into that. The four trends that you called out there is very um, that you saw rise in 2020 being the rise of the digital banks, um, more payment methods, 
less cash and the potential decline of credit cards. From an e-commerce perspective, I guess the payment methods has been really interesting for us in 2020 because what I've seen with my clients is that before you'd kind of not want to put more than two or three payment methods on a checkout and that was usually credit cards, PayPal, and then you might have one other. But what we're seeing now as a standard is six to eight different payment methods with all these options coming out. Is there any particular type of new payment methods that's really standing out to you in 2020? Well, I think um, taking back another year or two, you probably had the uh, the push from a number of people to accept cryptocurrency and, 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 and Bitcoin. Uh, I think that was a trend that, that came and, and, and potentially could come in the future as well. And I think a lot of a lot of retailers were thinking, oh, should we accept this payment method? How do we accept this payment? And there was a lot of talk at the time about that, particularly with the euphoric rise of the Bitcoin price. I don't think it's gone away, right? It's, it hit 15K the other day, didn't it? And uh, PayPal yeah, just no, announced I, 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 integration with crypto. Exactly, and 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 the and the, the the validity and the the sort of verification of Bitcoin as an accepted payment method is probably a trend which I I think may or um, you know may continue over time. Now, whether it's Bitcoin or Ripple or or, or whichever digital currency, the, the the mere concept of a digital currency run on the blockchain, I think, has probably got legs um, over the next decade or so. I don't know when or how, but I think it'll become a an easier payment method. So that was one one sort of thing that that sort of popped up a, a year or so ago or two years ago and 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 from that we've had you know the the adoption and, and, and australia's been a probably a first mover in 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 the reverse lay which is the which is by now pay later and and some call it alternative credit some call it a lender some are actually using credit cards to um uh like like split it for instance saying that the, the credit cards are not going to die and they're going to to leverage that um the outstanding balance for instance so if you look at a car, for instance, when when you know, Uber first came out, it had the big Uber sticker, and then some people tell me in in San Francisco and even here in Brisbane, they end up having an Uber sticker, an Ola sticker, a, a Lyft sticker on the front, and a car's a car. It just takes you from A to B. Then you go to the restaurants, and they've got an Uber Eats, they've got Deliveroo, and they've got menu log, and you've got three laptops and three point of sales, <laughs> and you've got three different combinations. It's very clunky, but that's the way the markets evolved because of of distribution and and um, and the ability for another channel to to assist you with your order gives, and, and then you've got yeah, you go to Kogan.com and you go to the checkout now, and you've got you know five or six different payment methods. So I think it's normal. I think that competition comes inevitably. There'll be one or two 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 winners in particular payments. I think, and and um, you, you've got the behemoth in PayPal. Um, sort of looking at above, and then even, even beyond that, you got Visa and Mastercard. Mastercard, they're looking to partner with various fintechs and, and other ways of methods of doing things. So there's big players already in it, and then, and then you've got the rise of, of of the smaller players. And, and I'm calling Afterpay small; it's 25 billion market cap, but small compared to PayPal and Visa and Mastercard. And and then you got on the SME side, you have got things like Zero, which are helping small businesses transact as well. So there's lots of lots of good things that are happening uh, from from the payments point of view coming out of a of Australia, but I do think um, inevitably the, the the checkout size will probably shrink from six to, to three to four. But right now it's six, and and probably people will determine which ones they want to pay for, and that's where the market will go, and that's where the retailers will go. Our partners at Signet helped organic tea business Little Wild Linko go plastic free in their small business supply chain. They switched from plastic lined mailer bags to a completely sustainable packaging lineup, all without having to commit to high minimum order quantities. Run wild and free, little wilding co. Signet has over 5,500 packaging solutions to help leading e-commerce businesses step up their packaging game. 
Visit signet.net.au to find out more. Is that the general gist in the investment community is that retailers aren't making usually aren't making a big bet on one or two emerging payment. They're kind of going, well, we'll do a bit of zip, we'll do a bit of hum, we'll do a bit of afterpay. We'll kind of keep everyone happy and keep everyone on board at the moment um, until we work out who the winner is because we expect it to shake out. Is that kind of the feeling in the investment community as well to kind of have a bit of everything at the moment? Um, look, I think... Australia has become a hub for for buy now pay later offerings and and the the, the share price success of, of the uh, in the in the short term of some of these companies has got the market alight. Um, whether that is, you know will continue over time, the only time will tell, and and, and only um, hindsight will be the answer of which ones have performed the best. But at this at this particular point in time, I think in Australia we've got afterpay, zip, um, lay by, uh, split it. Uh, open pay, uh, quick fee, uh, to name a few. I think there's probably a couple other ones that I've missed along the way. Of Flexi Group, which has the hum offering as well, uh, and 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 someone like Money Me is going into the sector as well. So, yeah, it, it will be a test of where the consumers want. And now um, there's also some unlisted offerings um, around, which I, I saw a company called Before Pay, a company called Foo, uh, that that are doing. Similar but different. Everyone's similar but different. Do different offerings um, in regards to maybe reinventing what used to be called uh, the overdraft, um, and and maybe some of the buy now pay letters are saying that they want to reinvent what used to be called the credit card. And and um, so I think that the market will test it, and the market will will say actually this this particular one is is resonating really well. We've seen the customer adoption of afterpay. Um, you know, be I suppose exceed everyone's expectations um, here and abroad, uh, but then when others will follow um, with with similar but different offerings, and 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 only time will tell. Yeah, and you called out the big gap, right? So that we've still got the big traditional players, the credit cards, the the PayPal's, and then we've got the emerging players. And I like that you call out that Afterpay is emerging and still, you know, got that market cap, which is which is still big, but again, nowhere near the other guys. Do you see that? Sometimes buy now, pay later may be the product or the service offering that they're coming to market with, but they are actually, you know, that's just their entry into market. They're actually going to evolve into something that's much bigger that could turn into a PayPal rival over time. Yeah, look, uh, it's interesting. And, and what I'm seeing now from the fintech's point of view here in Australia predominantly, which is what I tend to follow, has been been the, the number of partnerships that have happened with with various providers. And, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, inevitably, that may lead into M&A. But I do see, like, for instance, um, UpBank, which is probably the, the the forefront or leader of the numbers of, number of consumers uh, that are taking up a digital bank here in Australia. I think last time I checked, it was 285,000 in, in the first couple of years that they've signed up. Now, they've done a partnership with Bendigo Bank to use Bendigo Bank's systems and ADI and, and licensing, et cetera, and, and Bendigo will offer the BSB and account numbers. And then more recently, you've probably seen Afterpay you know, do a deal and a partnership with Westpac to do potentially a banking as a service product, which will enable customers to to spend and save um, using Afterpay and using an Afterpay card and using an Afterpay bank account. Now, whatever form that comes in, that's probably my view on what, what that type of partnership will look like and, and others will follow. So the whole idea of banking as a service and, and, and the ability for non-banks to become bank-like and non-bank lenders to become bank-like lenders and, and whatnot is opening up um, probably due to the, the fact that open banking is, is here in Australia you know, reasonably live, um, and not, not fully fledged and, and, and operational and not 
really, I suppose, um, there's not too many use cases around it that are, that are live at the moment, but that will come down the track. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what will what will pan out, particularly with those that, that want to keep more transactional data, more, um, uh, I suppose, more scrutiny and more eyes on what you're spending and what you're doing. And, and, and eventually the idea is to probably help you to, to save a bit better and to do um, to do make better choices, I suppose, from a consumer point of view. So it'd be interesting to see um, how that pans out. Can you give us a little bit more around open banking? Because I think it's a term that's thrown around a lot, and most people don't really understand exactly what open banking is. What is the promise of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm no expert either, so I, I'm just I'm just using my knowledge of what I my my learnings from speaking to a few people. But if you think about open banking like this, is that you've got some data, whether it be let's call it Commonwealth Bank, you've got some data at Commonwealth Bank. You're, you bank with Commonwealth Bank, you bank there all your life. You, you obviously spend uh, tap and go, and you, you have direct debits, etc. So your your file per se is 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 your your spending habits um, really, and and your income coming in from your from your work, for instance. Now. If you were to go to, um, to to get a loan, a car loan or a, or a home loan, et cetera, then most people will ask for those bank statements to check on how you're going and what you're to verify income and to verify uh, your expenditure and to see how you're you're going. Now, there's various algorithms you can run over the back of that, but but really, with, with open banking means that I can probably take my 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 CBA file over to to Westpac in in, in a pretty quick instance, and Westpac can then analyze that. As opposed to me giving Westpac my CBA login, they're logging in, they're looking at all the details, they're going through it with a, a highlighter or, or a more efficient algorithm, for instance, and, and then I can move it around. Now, the applications that, that can happen on the back of that, for instance, could be that let's say a, um, an insurance aggregator comes along and, and says, oh, we'll put in your, give, give us your, your file from, from Westpac and we'll scrape your bank account and we'll run analysis and we'll say, look, you're actually spending $264 a month on home and contents insurance and, and we can see that you're with provider X. Um, have you thought about provider Y, which is currently at $184 and we see that you've got some some daycare built into them, which means you probably have some kids. Um, you also see you've got a mortgage and we can see how much you're paying on your mortgage and therefore, did you realise that you're paying you know 3.84% instead of 2.6%? So it's, it's about the analysing of the transactional data and probably the whole appeal is it to give consumers more choice and more awareness of exactly where they're spending and why they're spending and, and tr- you know, attempting to give them a better deal. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to put an analogy on my health record, but if you think about my health record is that if you go to a doctor uh, and you've got a sore back and they said you had any you know, back history pains uh, and you say, oh, I had surgery seven years ago. Now, that doctor doesn't have that data, but some doctor will and you can, you know, with potentially with something like my health record, that file gets sent to that doctor and they go, I can see you had a surgery seven years ago. So it's very similar to, in my, my head, something like my health record where you, you, you have the data and you can move it around. Yeah. And, and so that's purely the customer's choice of what banks and what organisations get to see what data. Yeah, that's right. And, and you'll give permission uh, over what period of time and how and what. Uh, but previously, that um, yeah, the bank, like Commonwealth Bank, I'm just using them as an example, I'm not saying that they're... Hmm any more or less than any other bank but let's say you you, you the, the data was held with Commonwealth bank and for someone else to access that data you'd have to give them your, your login and credential details and and that's and that's what you have to do when you go to a loan nowadays particularly any sort of loan generally they'll scrape your bank account or at least provide statements of your three months six months 12 months history um, but with open banking moving forward <clears throat> i'm assuming there'll be applications where 
you can sort of have a dashboard and you can move things around and, and give people permissions to try and scour a better deal um, over, over, over time. Is there, is there something weird going on in the financial market at the moment where there's lots of talk around regulation and cracking down on the banks, making sure it's fair and equitable and transparent? Um, so then from that side, you're hearing a lot more around we're, we're restricted, we can't do anything. But at the same time, I don't think you've got an industry that's innovating as much as that sector. Yeah, look, there's been a lot of lot of eyes on the sector, definitely, uh, post the Royal Commission. And, and I, I, I think... For the right reasons, I, I think responsible lending still uh, probably at the forefront of the topic of whether it's you know there was an announcement the other day around the loosening of responsible lending and putting the onus back onto the consumer about you know if the consumer does default then yeah you know, whose fault is it and, that, and that's a very very interesting question that if a bank says you can afford X and, and really you can't where does the responsibility lie? And, and, and we've seen through the Royal Commission and the findings that have happened that of various instances of, of you know, consumer hardship. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's one thing. But then now it's like, okay, well, you know, you, even if you go to a mortgage calculator on a website, how accurate is that? And is that a marketing tool or is that accurate? Or is that, trying, you know, what, what is that? So there's a lot of greatness. And if I go to a, get a loan at, at, at Bank X, and they say no, then I go to bank one, they say yes. And what's the difference? Are they just flexible on on the ability that they think I'm a better customer or why did, you know, so everyone's got their different criteria around the thing. So mm. there is an element of sort of greyness, I suppose, um, when it comes to, to lending and, and, and the various levels. Some might say like, um, for instance, some might, um, yeah, if you're on commission, if you're a real estate agent or, or a stockbroker or something, you might say, oh, we'll take the, the middle of the year of three-year earnings or some might say we'll take 50% of last year's earnings because it's commission or we'll include bonuses. We won't include bonuses. We'll include your, mm. your overtime or not overtime. We'll include the fact that you you stopped work for a period of time but then you started again. We'll include that or not include that, et cetera. So, yeah, it's 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 people still, you know, people still going to buy houses and people still going to lend money and the economy's got to keep keep going. So, yeah, there's 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 going to be a um, – there is still, I think, an element of greatness around um, – on what is responsible and what is not. Yeah. yeah. And there was a there was an article that came out this week as around even one in five consumers missing buy now pay later payments. Yeah. And they're not considered they're not considered loans as such, are they? Uh, no, some some are and some are depending on the threshold um, of, of the of the dollar value. But yeah, I mean that again, that's that's great whether whether it's pure lending, whether it's instalment plan, uh, where it's reverse lay-by, whether it's budgeting, there's there's mm. it's open to interpretation by by many people, and 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 I think you know this is all a new way of doing things and a new yeah you know, new consumer-led type of payments, and um, what you think of it is is diff- is vastly different to the person next to you um, thinks about it, yep. and and I'm sure it's vastly different from from a retailer as well. One retailer might have you know, 30% of their volume through buy now, pay later, and some might have three. So, yeah, mm. it, it's all subjective. But it's yeah, it's a fascinating topic to watch and, and money in itself is um, particularly why I'm focused on it is just it's moving the moving parts every day. It's just um, there's some, some new type of payment or some new type of method or new fintech doing something slightly different to the norm and, uh, and the success of that is only going to be um, seen over time. 
Absolutely. I mean, I love following your LinkedIn updates because you often do do the updates around summarizing the news that's coming out and just looking at how much stuff that you can publish around that's new, right? It's not fluff. It's not PR fluff. It's actually new stuff coming out daily. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Look, it's 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 moving, and and like I, there are some days where it's it's fairly quiet, and and um, I, I show some support to you know profiling some some fintechs. And then there's other days like today where you might get three pieces of information that pop up in uh, various press or various newsletters or various LinkedIn posts by the founders where some are raising $10 million and some are, are launching their buy now, pay later for property or some are, uh, are certainly doing uh, yeah, a new way of a digital bank. And, and so it's constantly moving and there's a lot of entrepreneurs in this space that are uh, that are looking at the big four banks and, and other regional banks um, as well and the ways that they're doing things and going, can we do it differently? And the response from the, the banks is going to be very interesting. We're seeing some partnerships. We're seeing innovation arms on the big four banks being developed and we're seeing some, uh, like, for instance, Westpac did take an on-balance sheet equity stake in ZipPay very early on and, 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 and profited handsomely from that. And you may see some M&A. You may see the banks on the attack and say, well, let's, yeah, Commonwealth Bank's direct investment in Klarna as well as another example. You know, do they do, do they move in, in, in whole or do they, they sort of pay to play and learn, which you might see, or do they partner with something? So the way that the big four banks are going to respond and, and other banks in, in Australia are going to respond to some of these fintechs is yet to be seen. But at this stage, there's a little bit of partnerships, a little bit of equity stakes, but no major, no major M&A. Yep. And if we take the conversation back to the consumer, and if we think about the younger generation of consumers coming in, I'm not going to give them a, uh, a bracket or a, or, a, or a name, but if we think of the younger generation coming through and how they want to pay, what are you seeing? And you mentioned before, it was really interesting around, is it the death of credit cards? The jury's still out on that. What do you think that they're telling us about the future of payment? Well, I think there's probably two... Two, two schools of thought here. One is that the, the idea of 20% revolving debt or beyond, like you know, maybe even 40% or, or whatnot in terms of maybe maybe payday lending and whatnot. I, look, I, I don't know. I don't speak. I don't really follow that industry too closely. But the idea of a consumer generally being ripped off, I suppose, it, it's, it's, it's probably, that's probably too harsh. But the idea of value for money is probably a better way of putting it, is, is more prominent than ever. Now, consumers are more savvy than ever. They've got the information at their fingertips. They've got comparisons and they've got the ability to go around and shop around in a pretty quick way. So I think if you, the idea of, uh, let's call it a nominal figure of, of, of $3,000, for instance. Now, if you need $3,000 for a holiday or a, or a wedding that you don't have, what are your options now? And, you know, there's a, there's a personal loan you can get. There's a credit card you can get. Maybe there's a, uh, an overdraft facility, probably not that much, or you can just buy now, pay later. There's lots of different ways of seeking $3,000. Now, I suppose if, if one one outfit's charging 20% on those $3,000 and it's revolving and compounding, that might not be as desirable as, as free if you pay on time using buy now, pay later, or it might not be, you might actually go, well, actually, the personal loan's the way to go. So it's all all changing, but I do think the underlying thematic is consumers want value for money. They want to be felt like it's a fair outcome and they don't, they're, they're aware that if there's 
hidden fees or admin fees or overlay fees associated with that, then they can probably do the maths on it that they're not getting a fair deal. So I think that's probably the the number one thematic. And the second thematic is is the digital transformation, the idea of not having a wallet really. I mean, I, I, I have to swipe into work to get into into my office so I carry a car and it's probably the, the sole reason why I carry a wallet. Um, I don't go out to, to bars and nightclubs anymore where they ask me for my ID. I've got a few grey <laughs> hairs on my um, my chin. But um, really, that's the only reason I carry a wallet. So my my transactions now become Apple Pay and, and then there's other payment methods along those lines. And then you've got the things like the QR code, which is making it a little bit of a in-store kind of comeback, with particularly when it comes to hospitality and, and checking in and, and using using your phone to scan menus, et cetera. So there's, that's all changed probably recently with, uh, with COVID. Are you seeing the QR code used in payments at all? Uh, no, I mean, that's probably something which, which uh, I suspect um, Alipay and, and, and WeChat have done for a very long period of time, and I'm not a, a prolific user uh, of that. But I do think that QR is playing much more of a, a play here in regards to uh, collecting data on check-ins and, and, um, and, and being COVID, COVID safe. And I have heard anecdotal stories of, of, of buskers, you know, just having a QR code out the front when they, instead of putting your loose change in, just scan the, scan the money and transfer money, et cetera. Uh, not here in Australia, but maybe, maybe abroad. But, um, yeah, I do think that's a trend that's probably been led from outside of Australian shores and, and may well make a significant comeback. When Australian fashion brand Age wanted to set up its international omni-channel presence, they wanted to focus on mobile intuitiveness and flexible payment types. And of course, they turned to Shopify Plus. In just a few weeks after implementation, they saw their e-commerce conversion rate soar by 135%. It's the stuff e-commerce dreams are made of. They also saw a reduction in bounce rate, increased pages per session, and a longer session duration. Now, they are ready to take on the world. To read more of Age's story and see other case studies, visit the customers section on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. Now, given that you are across such a, a like such a range of um, stocks and businesses in that in that space, is there anyone out there that you think have a great story that you'd be willing to share that just isn't getting the attention? I mean, we hear a lot about the afterpays, we hear a lot about you know that kind of sector. Anyone doing something really interesting that we may not have heard of? I think there's a lot around open banking and the use cases. I think um, from from different areas of, of what can be be done by by open banking. I actually don't think there's been too many entrepreneurial uses yet for open banking, and, and I sort of liken it a little bit to the blockchain. I think the blockchain's a, a subject out there which people can use and trial in various different um, ways or forms, but the mainstream of adoption hasn't happened yet. So I do think moving forward, there'll be some really cool and funky use cases for open banking, which will adopt and, and people will go, wow, I didn't know this could happen and this is really, really cool and, and it probably goes a little bit um, a little bit viral. So I, my, my answer to that is probably whatever's funky and cool in a year's time may not have been created yet. <laughs> so, uh, looking at looking at uh, Afterpay, I think it's uh, six years old now. It, it, six years ago, you said what would be a a twenty five billion dollar company in Australia is involved in payments and marketing for retailers, etc. And and you said buy now, pay later, and you, you just don't know what that is. It just wasn't created. Mm. So I, I do think there's there's going to be 
a wave of entrepreneurialism and a wave of fintechs coming through, devising different ways of doing things and making things easier for people over time. And the winner may not already be in front of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if we take a wider look at the ASX at the moment, um, obviously 2020 has been great for e-commerce, um, not so great for other sectors, but from an e-commerce perspective, it's been great. And what we've actually seen is a lot of e-commerce floats onto the ASX. We've had people like Adore Beauty, um, My Deal, um, I think Booktopia are going up for one. Do you feel that the wave behind e-commerce is set to continue into 2021 or do you think we'll see a bit of a cooling off? Well, we've seen a, seen a mass adoption of, of e-commerce and that's been a forced issue uh, with people staying at home due to health regulations from the government and, and the way and the process of what people are, uh, are doing and how they're spending their money online is, is, has been fast-forwarded, undoubtedly fast-forwarded due to, due to the stay-at-home restrictions. The, the the ease of which you can do things and and the sort of the unknown of, of how the things work and and maybe I'll check this out and see when the delivery times and maybe I don't want to put my credit card details online maybe I, I it might take three weeks to get something yeah some of these myths have probably been debunked recently by people staying at home so I, yeah e-commerce has been around for a very long time in Australia and contributed you know X percent of retail um, spend, uh, X percent growing every year sort of marginally and, and, and growing and growing. And this year we've seen the explosion. So I do think there's a, definitely a structural change in e-commerce in Australia. You've had something like Amazon come into the market a few years ago where a number of the retail stocks fell on the thought and the the, the elephant in the room that's coming and, 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 and shiver to think, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness, are we going to get crushed by Amazon? And there's all these sort of sort of harsh and dark words about what Amazon's going to do to Australia and e-commerce. And, and really, uh, over the last few years, it's, it's chipped away. It really hasn't um, had this sort of effect that's going to crush Australian retailers. And, and um, certainly that may may change in the future, potentially, I, I don't know. But the, the impact that Amazon's had in Australia thus far has probably you know impacted some businesses in some way and, and other businesses in a, in a smaller way. But, um, yeah, the, the change is happening. The change is real. and um, yeah, we will always probably go back into, I'd imagine, once things open up again and there is a vaccine, there's more talk about various vaccines over the next coming years, um, walk into to some stores, undoubtedly, to touch and feel things at a, at a high cost point. I don't think it's fathomable to kind of have everything online. I mean, you, you're still going to have various services that do require you to, to, to be in store and maybe over time that's going to change. But, you know, buying a you probably want to buy an $80,000 car. You probably want to go to a car yard to try and test drive it first. Potentially, some people will buy cars off the internet and there'll be a market about that. It probably is growing, but mm. over time, you still need some items to go. So I do think we've seen a structural change into the adoption of e-commerce and the, and the, and the use of it and whether that's going to end up being 50% of Australian retail or 30% of Australian retail or 75% is yet to be seen. But the, from a user point of view, I think it's definitely changed. And do you think that there's a the opportunity for Australian business to have an impact on the world stage? Do you think that's growing? I mean, we've obviously got the unicorns like the Canva, the Atlassians, the Afterpay we've talked about, but even from an e-commerce perspective, we talked about a door. You know, that's potentially a global business. Do you think it's never- yeah? Look, um, we we we're, we're the lucky country in Australia. We're quite unique in in in, in our ways of doing things. But yeah, and and Atlassian went to the Nasdaq early as opposed to the ASX. And I think 
you've seen the the phenomenal success of of someone like Atlassian from a public point of view in regards to share price growth and, and company growth as well. So I do think we can compete, definitely. I, I think we are world leaders in, in if you look at the ASX 200, there's a number of companies that are world leaders in what they do and they'll have a huge amount of earnings offshore outside of Australia. Um, something like CSL is a phenomenal, has been a phenomenal story from uh, where they've come from to, to where they are now. Now they're the largest company uh, by market capitalization in Australia. We do have various industries where we, we are number one. So I, I don't think we're by any chance out of any race at all living in Australia. Uh, we are a smallish island. We therefore need to be relatively focused on a global market from from day one. And you could argue that some aren't global focused from day one and, and merged into it. And I think that's definitely a valid argument. But we've seen some really good global stories, um, even even something like the success over time of something like Macquarie Bank, for instance, that has that has grown overseas and grown into different markets, into different verticals, and and somewhat reinvented themselves over the last decade or so. So, yeah, we, we we're we're a pretty competitive bunch, and we've we love being outdoors, and we we play a lot of sport, and yeah, sport's pretty competitive, and on the business side, we're pretty competitive too. So. I'd never, I'd never back us out of a race. So yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> you know, there's there's Silicon Valley and and, mm. and 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 hubs like you know fintech hubs like New York and, and London and, and and Tel Aviv etc. And they're always going to you know provide wonderful outcomes uh, and big big tech and 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 and, and it's, they've got the infrastructure and systems probably slightly maybe better than ours. I don't know, but. You know, we're we're a thriving nation, so we've got to we've got to think big and 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 uh, give it a go. Absolutely. Now, a lot of our listeners will be founders, either of e-commerce businesses or service providers, um, including in that payment space, that may have ambitions of investment or floating at some point in the near future. From your perspective. As a broker, what are the key metrics that you look look for in business performance that tell you whether this is a good investment? It's a really good question because it 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 has probably veered off, like somewhat veered off the traditional path. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to um, see Warren Buffett speak in in um, at his annual general meeting a few years ago, maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago. And and what he looks for is you know compounding cash flow businesses that have really uh, a legacy ahead of them or can have a legacy ahead of them. And he bought stocks in 1975 and 1985, for instance, and held on to them. And you know, he's always been of the view that yeah, you know, pretend the market shut for ten years. Um, and if you buy an investment, you're buying a part of the company. You're buying a part of the company, which you want to you know you will then derive part of the profit from the company. Which will then compound over time, and 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 hopefully, ideally, beat the market, and hopefully, make make you a lot of money. Metrics have changed recently on on some things um, from from net profit after tax. Probably is is somewhat again um, certainly not out the door, but certainly people now use EBITDA a lot more uh, than 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 NPAT, and then even people now using sort of things on the tech front like revenue multiples and. Um, uh, and, and revenue to EV and, and, and the way that some of the global valuations in technology have seen that. So, yeah, first and foremost, I, I would think from a 
uh, a business point of view that you probably, you know, cash is still very much important in the business and, and the, you know, somewhat, some would argue the most important. So if you're losing a lot of money, that's, that's one thing which some businesses have um, done remarkably well over time, losing a lot of money, then making a lot of money and, and things like Uber, you know, have lost money for a long period of time and still people are a bit undecided whether that's going to be an, an ultra, ultra successful business model or not, things like Netflix as well. And even look at locally, things like Zero lost a heap of money and, and, and were, were burning a lot of money through their, through their growth period and, and um, have now turned the corner. So there are anomalies when it comes to spending money to grow. It's probably a riskier strategy, I would imagine, um, from the lifeline of a, of a startup or an emerging tech. But um, inevitably, um, you know, I, I would say be quite, quite focused on where the dollars go. I think um, when people raise capital and they raise $3 million or $5 million, and I've seen it hundreds of, hundreds of times, like have a really focused view on where that money's going to go. Don't, don't think it's just going to go on a billboard and away you go and you're going to get customers. So, yeah, I, I think over the, the podcasts that I've done, there's been a few different methods of, of, of the way of growing and scaling, but one that sort of stands out to me is, is one that said just, just test, test a product out there, get the feedback. If it doesn't work, scrap it, test a bit more, test a bit more until people say, I actually really like this feature. Mm. This is a feature that I really want because you, you might not know exactly what people want. And until you find that, you know, your customers are the ones that provide you revenue, which keeps you keeps your lights on. So, um, yeah, I think you and I can sit in a room and go, well, I think I think the market would like this, and we, we spend five hundred thousand dollars on building an app, and realize that no one wants it. That's just our view. So, absolutely, you know, I'd think do do it the other way around. Spend five dollars and see if, if someone likes it, and <laughs> and then they go and they don't like it, and then you spend five dollars, and then if they do like it, you go, what what actually did you like about? It? Oh, I actually like this feature more than anything else. You mm. know, well, double down on that feature and see what happens. So, yeah, the customer is 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 critically important to to uh, and the feedback loops that you get from the customer are critically important. I, I would imagine, um, not an entrepreneur myself, but certainly the the podcast that I've um, I've done over time. I think that's a lesson that's come through pretty pretty clear. Yeah, I think so. I, I was actually, it just reminded me of a situation I had this week with a client where we were going back and forth on WhatsApp about a new product that they were thinking of launching. And uh, we're going like, I think I'd like this. And he was like, I think, I, I think they'd like this. And if it was me, this, and this is what I'd do. And then we were both kind of like, why don't we just bring three customers and just float all these ideas past them because they'd love it. Um, and it's the best feedback rather than us trying to pitch. It's the best feedback. Yeah, yeah. It's the best thing. I mean, like if you, if you, if you started pitching, yeah, some, like a buy now, pay later customer who's never heard of the thing and they've got an established credit card and they're, I don't know, 65 years old and, and, and they'll be like, I don't think this idea is going to work. Really? Mm. That's all I'll say. I don't think this idea is going to work. And if you start pitching, you know, Facebook to my dad, who's 78, said, Dad, you got to jump on this thing. And he was like, I don't see any point. And I said, do you think the business is, would you believe this business is worth X billion? He goes, how, how is that possible? You know, and, and, and so, and, and that's and that's reality. That's reality yeah. in anything in life, you know. Uh, people just are different target markets and a different adaption of, of things and you need to understand that. And so the best way of understanding that is, is to, get the feedback from your customers and I'm sure Facebook over time is, is like as an example has, has changed their front page and home page and app many times on the back of uh, where they see people are um, uh, and the applications that they're using. Definitely. Chris, it's been so awesome speaking with you. Um, we've gone from everywhere from crypto to buy now, pay later to new banks to open banking. 
Um, so we've covered a lot of ground and it's obviously 2020 has been a big year, um, especially in that fintech sector. So appreciate all your thoughts and insights on that. Now, where can people get in touch with you if they want to stay up to date with everything happening in Australian fintech? Yeah, so uh, just look me up on LinkedIn, really. Um, just type my name in LinkedIn, connect, reach out, happy to have a chat with anyone. Always um, like meeting new people and, and uh, the podcast is under the, the Morgan's Financial. So you can type that into Spotify, but also if you wanted to type in the particular series that I assist with and under Morgan's Financial is called Bank to the Future, not Back to the Future, but <laughs> Bank to the Future. It's on Spotify and SoundCloud and, and all the various um, podcasting apps, etc. And, and, and any feedback is more than welcome. Beautiful, mate. Thank you very much. What a time to be in fintech. Now, there are a few takeaways from our conversation with Chris um, that I wanted to call out. The first was the flashback to the cryptocurrency craze. Like, it's just been forgotten, but it's still there. Even though the hype has cooled, there is still so much movement in that space. We need to be careful as retailers about just floating along from one thing to another following that hype cycle. Sometimes we've got to stick and pick. Secondly, Chris's point that it will probably get messier before it gets cleaner kind of scared the hell out of me. But just like us in retail, investors seem to be covering all their bases while they wait for these disruption winners to play out in the fintech space. We probably just need to stay comfortable with the mess for a little bit longer. And lastly, some of the metrics Chris was talking about and the movement from net profit to cash flow and growth for investors really hit. His point around being really definitive around what you're doing with investment money when you're asking for it it's stuck and made a lot of sense. If you want to hear more from Chris, I can highly recommend checking out his podcast, Bank to the Future, and go over and follow him on LinkedIn. He's a great guy to keep you in the loop on all fintech news in Australia. If you're looking for more e-commerce news, case studies, and research, sign up to 12 High's High Five newsletter. Every week, I read all the e-commerce news and send you five things which I've found which will help grow your business. Visit 12high.com.au forward slash high five h-i-g-h five to sign up for free thanks for listening and until next time keep adding to cart